Hello and welcome to the Power in the Key podcast. I'm your host, Neil Winterton, and joining me on the line as he does every week and for season two, it's Ben Cad. How are you, Caddy? Winno, great to be back. It's been a long off season, made even more so by the broken leg I suffered playing C grade Monday night basketball with that. How is that Ron recovery Wexley? going, mate? Last time we spoke to you, I think you'd just gone under the knife. Yeah, no, nah, it's been a bit of a long haul back, but the, for once the lockdown timing had been couldn't have been any more better for me, really, in terms of being able to lay on my back and get some recovery and, and playing Scotty Morrison 750 bucks a week for not being able to work. <laughs> and, um, and you know, I put some really detailed research into the NBA season this year. Oh, no doubt that's what you did. did but did you? what else did you do, Caddy? Did you get onto some Netflix series or how did you kill the time on your back? Yeah, absolutely. Punched through um, Animal Kingdom was the first one that I was sort of working through. Just finished Squid Game, but that was more of a recent um, recent one. Now, how is that, mate? I haven't got around to that as yet, but it's getting some rave reviews. It's unusual, but, um, yeah, appetising and it keeps you hanging in there. And yeah, It's only one season so far, so you can basically punch through it if you've got the um, time to do that. It, 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 it's a Korean-based show. But, Are yeah, we talking all... subtitles or dubbed? What's the no, name? no, it's been dumped with English um Voiceovers, which are American voiceovers, which is quite humorous in itself. But um, now, look, my youngest son, Lawson, who's seven, um, secretly watched the first episode. So surely it's not seven-year-old appropriate, can it? No, I've banned him from the rest of the series. (laughs) So I don't know. He he heard it off someone else, and that's how I got onto it, to be honest. But um, yeah, no, it's it's worth a look. But yeah, a bit bit um, outside the norm, what you normally expect. So. Yeah, that, that, that's what I've heard. I, I'll probably uh, work my way through that this week. Now, we did have our fantasy draft last week, Caddy. Not that anyone really likes to hear about people talking about their fantasy teams, but how, were you happy with how your team ended up, the Gorillas? Well, the Gorillas, you know, one of the great franchises of fantasy history. Oh, no doubt. You know, across most leagues, not just our, our league. Old a storied but, um, franchise, Caddy, a storied franchise. That We had some issues last year which lucked us into the pick four uh, into this year, and um, – yeah, I, I didn't realise that I would have been in the mix for a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo, but um, <laughs> we were able to secure his rights with pick four. Um, big get, big get a pick four. Yeah, just hoping his knees, you know, okay. We haven't seen him yet in the preseason, but we're just assuming that they're just le- leaving him on ice to the real stuff. But yeah, if he he can come out and be the sort of player we saw in the finals, I think it's a, a bit of a steal at pick four. And then as I was just Chatting to you offline, uh, my next couple of picks, Shay Gilgis, Alexander, and uh, Michael Porter Jr. I've got a bit youthful in those two picks there and really hoping that they capitalise on, you know, what the potential we, we know that we've seen. Oh, well, no doubt. Uh, th- those three guys, their games will go to another level going to the Gorillas franchise. As you said, a, a much storied franchise that has been known for their player development over the years, Caddy. So no doubt uh, we'll see career <laughs> career best from those three players. So, so what about uh, yourself there, Trey Young at pick 14? Yeah, you, you... Trey Young at pick 14. I was, uh, wasn't sure who I was going to end up with, to be honest, at that pick. I was secretly hoping that Anthony Davis would slide to me, but he was snapped up the pick before me. So had to go with Trey Young at 14. And then my second pick, only about four or five picks later, Nick Vucevic, not overly happy with that, but uh, the, the big the man big can Vooch. put up. Yeah, the big Vooch, one, one of your boys now, he can can uh, put up some numbers and grab a few boards, so hopefully he can do that. And then when Chris Paul was my third pick, who was very good for me last year, so hopefully he can keep drinking caddy from the uh, from the that fountain of youth that he's found and uh, <laughs> continue to put some numbers up. So it's always a bit of fun. The, uh, unfortunately, we couldn't do it in person as we usually do, but uh, we did it over Zoom, which was a little unusual, but uh, it was still a really good night. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we may or may not have broken COVID protocols by having at least a quarter. Let, of the, let's let's just say you didn't. <laughs> we may or may not have had a quarter of a league in my uh, lounge room on draft night, but um, anyway, it was uh, much better to do it as a, a big day. And then look, now we've just got to make sure all you blokes turn up for M- NBA day down at Inverloch in the new year. I think, uh, Caddy, everyone's been caged up for that long. Any excuse to uh, get together and maybe have a couple of sherbets with some mates would uh, be snapped up, no doubt about it. So uh, what we'll do, Caddy, for the for the first show is we'll uh, we'll just run our way through the east. And I thought a good way to do it, Caddy, both uh, myself and you have uh, been known to have a flutter from time to time. So we'll uh, we'll jump on Sportsbet and have a look at the east uh, over and unders and uh, just say whether we want to go over and under the feast, uh, the the number that uh, Sportsbet are throwing at us. So we'll just run through the east alphabetic, alphabetically and we'll start with the Atlanta Hawks, who last year went 41-31, and 31, which was good for fifth in the east during the regular season. But uh, but they made it all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals and were, were eventually eliminated, eliminated by Milwaukee in Six games, bearing in mind that Giannis did miss the last two of those games. So uh, that over and under this year is forty-seven and a half wins. Uh, we did see them really transform their season when they when they fired Lloyd Lloyd Pierce and brought in uh, Nate McMillan uh, over the off season. They, they re-signed both uh, John Collins and Trey Young to five-year max contracts and brought in Delon Wright and Gorgie Jang. Where do you see Atlanta this year, Caddy? Do you think last year's sort of run to the to the Eastern Conference Finals flattered them a little bit, or do you think they're one of those teams that are really on their way up? Well, I think the first thing we've got to acknowledge is those win totals from last year were in a shortened season, so it's seventy two game season. Yeah, correct. So, I can't quite. I'm not that good at math. I can't extrapolate that out to to an eighty two game uh, figure. Yeah, no, I haven't gone to the effort of bothering to do that either, to be honest. But um, yeah, that, so at 41 last year, they're at 47 in an 82-win season. I think that's probably just about par for the course, if my maths are, if, are, are any use. But look, I think you know they've kept a really similar uh, lineup in terms of their roster this year. They, As you mentioned, they re-signed John Collins, who, who was a guy that we spoke about at nauseam last season about that extension, whether it happened or not. You know, they're going to get the benefit now of another season with Gallinari, Bogdanovich, hopefully all healthy. And the big the big thing here is really is what are they going to get out of DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish, who are the two guys that really – look, Reddish came back in the playoffs, but we didn't get to see DeAndre Hunter. And he's the, really, for me, the X factor as to whether this team can go to another level or not. Look, I, I think they were probably playing ahead of themselves a little bit last year, so – I would probably leaning on taking the under just on this one at the 47.5. I think they're a 46-win team going into next year. And it's really just around, I think, my my own feel that they may have, you know, overachieved in a sense a little bit last year as opposed to some of these teams that I'll talk about later that I think it's got some more improvement in them. So I'll go just on the under, um, but hopefully no disrespect to all those Atlanta fans that listen in because I think they're going to be a, clearly a There's a lot team. of them. Uh, there are. They're, you know, we, we can't discount how many of them there are. But um, at this stage, I'll, I'll take the slide under on the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, that's fair enough. I, I think when you say you think they overachieved, do you think that, that playoff run or more regular season they overachieved? Well, I think both. Like, I know that they got off to a good start last year then they really hit the wall there for a while and sort of came home ended up in that equal fourth, fifth spot with the Knicks and um, obviously won that series and got into the into the next round. So the 41-31 record, which is 56% last year, I think was probably slightly over what we what we thought. We had the Miami Heat that 
I think underachieved last year and you know there was many reasons for that and I think we'll go through a lot of the teams had reasons for poor performance none none more so than COVID and the safety the health and safety protocols and the Boston Celtics from another team that were heavily impacted by that so we've got to assume that you know if we if we're thinking we're going to take the over here that they're going to be an improved team and also basically be able to take on that improvement that I think is going to be there from a team like Miami maybe Boston you know, where are the Chicago Bulls in, in all this and the Indiana Pacers? So I'd have them, yeah, just slightly regressing in terms of the win total. Um, but that, I don't think that's any discomfort to Atlanta fans to say they might be a 46 and 36 team going into next year and probably end up a five seed anyway. Yeah, th- there's no doubt. The, the East, especially at the top of the East, it's, it's going to be really tough. Uh, the East this year, I think, at the top end anyway, is probably a little unusually stronger than the, than the West. I actually like Atlanta for the over here. I think that they – there's a couple of ways they could go with their season. They could obviously keep all their players, and if they do, they're just such a deep roster. So if you look at their starting five, Trey Young, Bogdanovich, uh, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, and Clint Capella, and then they can bring off the bench uh, Herder, Reddish, Gallinari, DeLon Wright, Lou Williams, Solomon Hill, Gorgie Jang, and the rookie from last year, Nyeka Okongwu, who will miss the start of the season, but will obviously uh, come into their their rotation at some stage. That's 13 deep, and that's 13 deep quality NBA players. So usually there's an old sort of adage they say in the NBA that the the least amount of bad players you can put out there, the better the team you're going to be. And and 13 guys there that are just, real, as I said, quality NBA players. Obviously probably only one real star in Trey Young, um, you mentioned DeAndre Hunter. Can he take a step forward and become a borderline all-star? Uh, John Collins, who signed that max extension in the offseason, he's probably a borderline all-star as well. So really only one superstar, then a couple of sort of borderline all-stars. But j- just quality right across the board, which will allow them to obviously navigate any injuries they may have. Who knows what's going to happen with the whole COVID situation. We've always, already got Jalen Brown. Uh, we'll talk about Boston next, but Jalen Brown's already been into the health and safety protocols because he's tested positive. So fingers crossed we don't see a lot of that during the season, but we saw a lot of that last season. So, And Atlanta didn't have a great run, if you look at last year, with injuries. So they were able to weather that last year. I think they can weather again this year. You'd expect Young and Hunter and Collins you know, and Reddish and Herder and these guys to continue to take another step. So I can't really see any reason why they would digress yeah, I said that could go a couple of ways. I think the other thing that you could potentially see, and there hasn't been a lot of noise about this at all, but they could be a sleeper candidate to, to pull a really big trade. So something someone like a Brad Beal becomes available from Washington. For me, Atlanta would be the team that should go all in on that trade because having 13 guys in your rotation that can play is just far too many. You can't sort of spread spread the love out enough. Hunter and Reddish and Herder, you know, Okongwu, uh, Capella, these guys are good young players on, on good contracts at a team like Washington, if they were looking to hit the reset button, could really look at this team and go, yeah, we'll take all those guys and a few of your draft picks and, and you can have Bradley Beal and, and that would sort of boost them up there. So it's hard to predict based on them maybe making a trade, but even if they don't make a trade, I think they'll go over this. I'll say 40, 48 to 49, so only just over, but I do like Atlanta for the over, um, j- just given the depth that they do have on their roster. Uh, we'll move now to the Boston Celtics. So last year they were 36-36, and 36, so a 500 team. Seventh in the East. Uh, they were knocked out pretty convincingly in that first round by Brooklyn. Uh, 4-1 loss to Brooklyn. The big move in the offseason and a shock move when it did happen at the time was Brad Stevens, their coach, moving into a front office role, which is a little unusual. You don't see that all that often, uh, given he had absolutely no experience in a front office role for him to go 
from coaching to a front office role, as I said, was surprising. Emmy Adoka's come in, a rookie coach. So that's always a little bit of a question mark when you bring bring a rookie coach into a team that he, that he's looking to be a, a strong uh, playoff caliber team. Uh, in the off season, they brought in Dennis Schroeder on a really good deal. When you know the, the the thing with the Lakers didn't pan out his way, also brought in Josh Richardson, Ennis Cantor, Juan Hernan Gomez, and they brought back Al Horford into the fold. Uh, he had a couple of really good seasons with them a couple of years ago, so they brought him back in. They did lose Kemba Walker, Evan Fournier, and Tristan Thompson. So plenty of changes um, off the court and on the court, Caddy. How do, you, how do you see Boston shaking out this year? You, you, you would say they'll probably – well, not probably. I don't think they were disappointing last year being a 500 team, but they obviously had some excuses with Tatum and, and Brown uh, missing significant chunks of the season. Yeah, and look at the season hasn't started any better for them this year. We've we've already found out that Jalen Brown has contracted COVID again. So, um, which is just you know, it, it may again be a theme of this year. Even though, as we understand, most of the players are now, you know, vaccinated and all these type of things. I I, I think we'd be naive to think that the COVID struggles of NBA teams is going to be over because clearly COVID's still going to be running rampant. People are going to con- contract it and it may or may not, you know, probably may impact you know, what they're trying to do. So the fact that Jalen Brown's already, you know, impacted by that after a sizzling start in the preseason game the other day, you know, is again a little bit concerning. I think they've lost some depth into that team that they had last year. Look, I like the show to pick up. Al Horford, I mean, well, he barely played last year. He's only another year older. You know, I think it's a good fit on court, but, you know, what sort of condition and form is he going to be in at his age? And and really it's such a... Now, big reliance on a guy like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, to be fair, um, to really carry the load on this team. We know Marcus Smart's probably now, you know, the legitimate third banana here. I would probably be leaning on the fact, uh, you know, the, the 36 and 36 last year at 500, I think. I'm not sure if you gave us the win total. Is it 47 and a half? Uh, sorry, yeah, it's 45 and a half wins. 45 and a half. Okay, so that's. That's going to be a market improvement on what they had last year. I'm going to take the under on that. I, I don't think they'll get necessarily a big boost above 500. Um, you know, if they're going to be a 46 and 36 team, I'll take the under on that and think they're probably around that 500 mark again next year. Um, you know, and that's no disrespect to a guy like Jason Tatum, who I think is going to turn into a you know a top 10 NBA player as soon as next season. But I just worry a little bit about you know what they don't have with Kemba Walker. You know that you know the Gordon Haywood stuff clearly went sour a year before that. So where's that third star now coming from behind Tatum, Tatum and Brown? I think I don't know that Marcus Smart's necessarily that. I don't think Schroeder is that either. And um, you know Al Horford's clearly at an age where he probably doesn't need to be that type of player. So as much as I like the fit in terms of that and, I, and the projected improvement of a guy like Robert Williams, who's certainly going to come in and, and uh, I think put up big numbers and improve on his previous output. Yeah, I'd be backing against the Boston Celtics being a 46-17. Yeah, I agree with that. I'd, I'd sort of have them around about the 44 win mark maybe. It's it's probably their depth for me. You said there that you thought they'd lost a little bit a little bit of depth. And, you know, I agree. If you look at their starting, proposed starting lineup, it'll be Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum and Robert Williams. That fifth starter is probably a little bit up in the air, whether they go with a Josh Richardson or they go heavy with scoring and start Schroeder. Or they, get a, they get an Al Horford in there. I'm not too sure. But 
a couple of injuries, and we, you, know, you mentioned already the fact that Jalen Brown's out. If they get a couple of injuries, I just don't think they've got the depth. They've probably got a 10-man rotation that includes those four I mentioned, and Richardson, Schroeder, Hernan Gomez, Al Horford, Peyton Pritchard, they're going to look uh, and probably need him to take a big step up uh, in his third season. And Ennis Cantor, I'm just not really sold on them. If they get an injury to either Tatum or Brown for a significant uh, period of time, well, I just think that they're going to really struggle to put the wins on the board. And, and tied in with the fact that they've got that rookie head coach, Brad Stevens was universally sort of acknowledged as one of the better coaches in the NBA. That's why it was you know such a surprise that he did uh, transition to a front office role, not only because it, w- it was a surprise, not only because he hadn't done that before, but because he was such a respected and young coach that, that he made that leap. So a, ro- a rookie head coach, the fact they don't have a lot of depth outside their two uh, stars just uh, leads me to believe. And the fact that the East has got stronger again uh, leads me to believe that they will hit the under on this, not by a lot. I'm going to say about 44 wins. So, so they'll just uh, fall in shy that 45 and a half win mark that, that they've got for their over under. Uh, we'll move on now to uh, probably everybody's pick to win the title at this stage. The Brooklyn Nets, last year they were 48-24, and 24, which was good for second in the East. They had that incredible second round uh, matchup with the Milwaukee Bucks that they lost 4-3. They're over under this year to 56 and a half wins. Uh, over the offseason, they had a lot of changes. They brought in Aussie Paddy Mills. LaMarcus Aldridge has, you know, out of nowhere basically made a comeback after he retired due to some health issues. They brought in Pil- uh, Paul Millsap. James Johnson, and they picked up uh, Cam Thomas with the 27 pick, who was a summer league MVP. He's shown he can certainly put the ball in the basket, so he'll probably have a role for them at, at stages uh, during the season. Uh, they did lose uh, Jeff Green, who was pretty important for them last season, and also Spencer Dinwiddie, who obviously didn't take the court for them at all due to that knee injury. So obviously, Caddy, the, the biggest question mark uh, hanging over the heads of the Brooklyn Nets at the moment is the situation with Kyrie Irving. His refusal to to be uh, vaccinated has, has sort of thrown their season a little bit uh, into chaos, I guess. He's going to be going to be ineligible to play any of their home games. Surprisingly, he's allowed to practice. I don't think they practice in, in the gym that they play in, but the gym that they practice in isn't classified as a public arena or something. So there's some sort of loophole where he is allowed to practice with them uh, when they practice at home, but he's not allowed to play at home. So he's going to miss at least – that's if he doesn't get vaccinated and there's sort of been no indication that he's willing to change his mind. He's a bit of a strange cat, Corey Irving, as we've spoken about a couple of times last season. So he could miss at least half of the season. So it's going to throw them into a little bit of chaos and going to be obviously really hard to get any sort of continuity going when one of your key pieces is missing half of the season. So do you think, Caddy, if, if it sort of comes to fruition that Corey Irving – only plays half the games. Do you think this is going to impact Brooklyn enough that they're not going to be able to get the 56 and a half wins? Oh, look, I think you providing James Harden comes back in, you know, a hell of a lot better shape than he turned up in last time. And, and, you know, let's assume well, that wouldn't be hard, would it? Well, all he's got to do is really turn up because last time he, you know, he basically sat that first period of the season out and didn't really, really give himself a chance. But Kevin Durant, obviously again, huge in the Olympics. Um, a great performance. We know what we're going to get. I think from him, night in, night out. He's got the mat, you know, the really big max extension that kicks in this year uh, over the next five years. So look, they invested, you know, an enormous amount of money into what KD's, you know, going to be there for them. And I think you know they've been rightly, rightfully, you know, optimistic that he's going to come back as fit as he showed in the Olympics. That that Achilles injury is well and truly behind him. So. I think if they've got KD and James Harden playing at an optimum level, forget the fact that Kyrie might only play every second game. 
on average, and I, I can't see him conforming at all. And I might be, you know, proven wrong, but he's been the sort of character that's not going to just, you know, lay over for something he doesn't believe in. So I, I he think still thinks he has flat caddy. Well, I think that's why it's safe to assume that he's probably not going to take a vaccine that, even though science has proved that is, is you know, something that, you know, works and, and, and helps you be healthy. I, I think let's assume he's not going to conform to that and only play the away games. Now, I think with Harden and, uh, Harden and Durant, the support cast with Harris, Mills, you know, Griffin, Bruce Brown, you know, showed he was a more than capable player. They've added Paul Millsap as a bit of, you know, insurance on the bench. I think this team should be more than capable to cover that line at 56 and a half. I see, you know, basically, you know, what they did last year with such an interrupted season at, you know, 48 and 24, which was 66%, you know, win total over the year. My numbers served me right. The win total at the 56 and a half would be 68%. So it's only a slight rise on top of that. And I think they're, you know, on paper with KD, James Harden at the helm, they should be able to cover that line and I'll take the over on the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, I totally agree. I reckon they'll hit the over pretty comfortably. Even as you said, it, it appears that Irving will miss at least half the season and he usually gets an injury and who knows, he could just disappear for a couple of weeks, as is his want caddy. So I reckon they could hit 58, 59, even 60 wins. The amount of talent, they're an unbelievable roster. They've got the best top-end talent in the league, obviously comfortably with those big three that we always talk about. But they, similar to Atlanta, they've basically got a 13-man rotation. So they're starting five, went healthy, Irving... James Harden, Joe Harris, Kevin Durant, and Blake Griffin. Off the bench, they bring Paddy Mills, Bruce Brown, Landry Shamit, LaMarcus Aldridge, Paul Millsap, James Johnson, Cam Thomas, a rookie that I spoke about earlier, and Nick Claxton, who showed some really good flashes as a, a rim-running centre last year. So they've just got so much depth, so much top talent, uh, top-end talent. They can afford to weather some injuries, as they did last year. You spoke about the fact that, you know, with the percentage-wise, it's not it's not a huge uptick on what they were able to produce last year. I, I, I just can't see the, them going under 56 and a half wins unless there's another massive injury to to either Harden or Durant um, but we've seen James Harden be able to carry teams on his own he did that in Houston for a couple of seasons so I just think they've got so much talent I just can't see them going under 56 and a half wins the one question mark I do have Caddy and I'll get your opinion on this last year they were probably a little bit undersized and, and we weren't sure how they were going to go in with, with their centre position well this year they've got Blake Griffin LaMarcus Aldridge, Paul Millsap, and Nick Claxton, who are all basically their best position is centre. How do you see that centre rotation shaping out? Because they, they can probably squeeze some minutes out of, you know, a Millsap or an Aldridge at the four. But ideally, sort of four of their four of their guys out of the rotation need to play centre. How do you think they'll be able to do that, given that even Kevin Durant's best position is probably a small ball five if, if you can manage that? Yeah, I don't think they're going to lose too much sleep over that. Steve Nash and his, his coaching staff, I think, even bringing LaMarcus Aldridge back, a guy like Paul Millsap is clearly here just for insurance. Um, look, I think they'll just play their best lineup night in, night out, and not really worry about sharing minutes across those guys. I think a guy like Nick Claxton will actually probably see the bulk of those minutes in front of the guy like Millsap or even LaMarcus Aldridge. I think Griffin proved himself, you know, last year that he's he's capable of playing the four and the five in this team. If Durant's going to play the three and he's there as a four, he could can play. Claxton at a five in, in, in small periods. But, yeah, they've, they've certainly got more flexibility, I think. Clearly, DeAndre Jordan wasn't the guy that they relied on at all last year, and he's moved on. 
Um, so, yeah, I think the big man rotation, as you said, like they're more than happy to go with Durant even at the five if they had to. And I, I don't think they're going to lose any sleep over, and you know, how many minutes LaMarcus Aldridge thinks he's going to play or even Paul Millsap. You know, I think they're going to be probably more trying to find, you know, minutes for a guy like Cam Thomas, you know, on the wings and these type of guys who can light up the, the box score really quickly. And, um, you know, even Bruce Brown's another guy that's shown he's got a, a really significant role in this team. I think they probably early in the season try and get as many minutes into those type of players rather than those veterans in the in the big man spots. Uh, you'd hope that the conversation, I'm sure it was, had with, with Aldridge and Millsap that, you know, they, as you said, Nick Claxon, you, you would hope they'd get some minutes into him early. So hopefully that those... Uh, veteran bigs are happy to take a little bit of a backseat early. They'll obviously got these guys into in, onto the team, you know, f- for their experience and come playoff time. I'm sure Steve Nash will probably start to lean a little bit more heavily on those guys uh, in the playoffs. We'll move over now, Caddy, to your boys, the Chicago Bulls. Last year they were 31 and 41, which was good for eleventh uh, in the East. They obviously went all in late in that season with that trade for Vucevic, which didn't quite uh, pay dividends last season. Well, they've gone all in again in the off season. They've brought in Lonzo Ball, Demar Derozan, Alex Caruso, Derek Jones Jr., and Tony Bradley as a backup center. They did lose finally, Caddy. They they uh, parted ways with Laurie Markkinen, uh, Daniel Tice, uh, Th- Thad Young, and Thomas Sadoransky. So they're over and under. He's 43 and a half wins, and I, I didn't check it a couple of days ago. That They've been on fire in the preseason, so I don't know whether that figure has increased over the last day or so. But 43 and a half wins, Caddy, from obviously a Bulls fan perspective. How confident are you on what they've been able to put together in the offseason? Well, we're pretty giddy, let's be honest. We're, we're drunk with optimism at the moment after the first <laughs> few preseason games. It's, it's hard to remember even a regular season Bulls win that's been a 20 plus point victory, but to get two in a row in the preseason, it's really been hard to quite contain ourselves at the moment, just with the way that these guys have gelled together so quickly. You know, as you mentioned, it's a, a newish roster again after the significant changes after the trade deadline last year with the big Vooch coming in, but the uh, off season signings of DeMar DeRozan and Alonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, we haven't even unleashed Patrick Williams yet in this preseason. He's a few weeks away still as, as yet. But uh, I think the, this Bulls team, and you know, we, we spoke about it last season when they made those trades and we kind of said, look, it's, it's all or nothing in terms of even last year making the playoffs, which you know they clearly didn't do. But they sort of you know you know batted up again and, and um, tried to continue to improve the roster, sacrificing draft capital to do so. But I think they made some pretty pretty smart signings. Alonzo Ball won in the end, I think, was you know probably a resounding um, success, I think, in terms of the number and what they had to give up. Um, there was probably more conjecture around the DeMar DeRozan uh, signing and, and, and the amount of money for three years for him and having to give up, I think, a first-round pick and Thaddeus Young. But, I, I, look, I really like the fit with DeRozan, Vukovic, Levine, Alonzo Ball. Defensively, you know, we can pick it apart as much as we like, but I think, you know, you know, I like to use preseason games as almost my my entire you know form guide to be honest. And, and, and so you should, because it's always a good uh, a good way to get a handle on how teams are going to go. And to see these guys gel together so well in the first two games, it's it's, it's almost um, embarrassing to think they're not going to be a five hundred team. So I'll be taking the the over and a lock. At the Chicago Bulls at over 43 a and a half. I think they're a 46 to 48 win team. And I think you'll oh, find like them about four or five seed in the uh, Eastern Conference. No problems at all going into th- season 21-22. Oh, I like the optimism, Caddy. It's, I, I heard a stat uh, this week that since the Jimmy Butler trade, 
the Chicago Bulls have had the worst record in the NBA. Which, which <laughs> I thought, I thought that must, I thought that can't be right. There's obviously been some horrendous teams, and and Chicago have never been really bad, but they've just been consistently ordinary. And so, so since the Jimmy Butler trade, they've uh, been the worst team in the NBA. Incredible. I I was surprised when when uh, Chicago made all these moves. The, the level of pessimism that was sort of coming from a lot of the the NBA scribes. I I was. I mean, yeah, you, you mentioned there you can pick apart. They're not going to be great defensively. Obviously, DeMar DeRozan is not known at all, for and rightfully so, for his defense. But he's he's an exceptional offensive player. His passing's got better um, since he went to San Antonio. You know, we've seen um, the question marks about Zach Levine's defense, but he was really good on that end uh, for Team USA. So hopefully with, you know, not, not a heavy reliance upon him on the offensive end, he can focus a little bit more defensively and become a better def- uh, defender. So nobody's expecting the Chicago Bulls to be a, a top five or ten uh, defensive team, but if they can sort of fall somewhere between, let's say, 18 and 20 around that market, I, I, I can't see any reason why they wouldn't be a top five offensive team. They've got that much offensive talent out on the floor. The big question mark for me, Caddy, would be their depth. So they're starting five, Ball, Levine, Patrick Williams, you mentioned, is probably going to miss the first couple of weeks of the season. But once he comes back, he'll be in their starting five. DeRozan and Vucevic, that, that's an outstanding starting five there. As I said, really good offensively um, and hopefully can, can show something defensively. Coming off the bench, Alex Caruso, who's who's looked really good in the preseason. Kobe White, I don't think we've got a return day for him. He's going to be out till at least November as well. Um, and Bradley is at backup bigs. Now, they're going to need somebody out of this group, Caddy, and you tell me which one you've got more confidence in. Stanley Johnson, Alize Johnson, uh, Jones Jr. Or, or Troy Brown Jr. They're going to need one or two of those guys to hit. Which which one out of that group of four there do you think could, could sort of play a role for the Bulls this year? Oh, look, I think Tony Bradley in the centre's position is a guy that they're going to expect to play and play big minutes initially. Now, let's not sleep on our European stallion, Marco Simonovic, who's um, oh, yes. who, the, who the writer that they drafted to a few years back, who effectively they paid out his European contract in the off-season to bring him in a year earlier. There's optimism around what he can do. I mean, we've been burnt by such um, optimism before in Chicago around some of the European Players like Nikola Mirotic, who we thought was the you know the next Tony Kucic, Kucic never <laughs> quite happened. But um, look, I think Troy Brown Jr. is going to be a player. Um, they obviously made the trade as well with Portland for Derek Jones Jr., who's another guy who I think will play minutes for this team. An, an exciting, you know, obviously dunker. Um, so if that's of, of any significance, but I think you know he's a guy on a you know on a on a pretty big deal and expiring. He'd be looking to prove himself as a free agent heading into next year. So, you know, look on, on paper, it certainly doesn't bounce off the page. The bench depth. Um, look, I don't think we'd be holding our breath on a guy like Stanley Johnson, who's you know bounced around the league a lot. But I think it's more that, you know, Troy Brown, Derek Jones, you know, as I said, the European stallion, and you know, just to try and get some minutes out of those guys. But I think you know this starting five you know, when they're fully functional, they're probably going to be expected to be playing in those 35 minutes a game. Let's be honest, they've invested heavily into these guys. And, you know, a guy like Caruso, I think, you know, has got some legitimate upside in terms of the way he plays in an up-tempo offense is going to really, you know, contribute significantly to the way, you know, a guy like Zach Levine can get some more open shots and, you know, Vukovic in the paint as well. So I think, you know, optimistically, as a Chicago Bulls fan, I'm I really hopeful that this is the right mix because they're kind of locked into it now. Um, there's not a lot of flexibility. They got Zach Levine coming in a contract, and at the end of this year, he'll be looking for a significantly 
you know, a significant max extension, I, I would have thought. And the Bulls really, you know, although they don't have the great history of um, paying their stars, like you know, Jimmy Butler, who they've effectively let walk, I think Levine showed that he's, you know, been able to improve his game at both ends of the floor and he'd be a guy worthy of investing into. But if they do, they're pretty much locked into this DeRozan, Vukovic, Levine, Ball, Patrick Williams combination for the next, you know, four, three to four years. Yeah, no doubt. And, yeah, they're obviously hoping that – they're obviously trying to prove to Levine that they can put together a roster around him because they want him to be the centrepiece, as you said. He's coming up as a free agent. They could have actually given him given him an extension this offseason, but they decided to use that money to bring in players around him, prove to him that they're going to be a good team, and then hope that he re-signs in the offseason, which is a, a pretty big gamble, I suppose, when you look at it because he's going to be unrestricted this uh, upcoming off-season. So if this all falls pretty flat, well, we could be looking at, a, at another sort of long rebuild for the Chicago Bulls. But I'm pretty bullish, pardon the pun, Caddy. I like them for the over as well. I'll go 45 wins, so comfortably clearing that 43-and-a-half uh, win uh, mark that they've got for their over and under. Uh, moving on to the next team, the Charlotte Hornets. They were 33-39, and 39, which was good for 10th in the East. They were smashed in that playoff game by Boston, I think, from memory. In the offseason, they brought in Kelly Oubre Jr., Ish Smith, Mason Prumley, and used the 14th pick on James Booknight and the 15th pick on Kai Jones, who I think they got that pick from uh, the New York Knicks on draft night. Uh, they did lose. Uh, they didn't actually lose anyone of real significance, to be honest, in, in the offseason. So how do you see them this, this season, Caddy? 33-39 and 39 last year. They're over and under this year is 37-and-a-half wins. I'm a little bit. I've got a bit of a question mark if I'm being honest on on the Charlotte Hornets. What about you? Yeah, I look like a big question mark. I don't think they've um, been able to significantly improve their team at all. And this has been a you know a real frustrating build over the last ten to fifteen years for the Charlotte Hornets. I mean, they've really been effectively in rebuild mode most of that period, and they've had a couple of you know sneaky runs into the playoffs, but no, nothing's been able to stick there. And anytime they get a a good you know a good young player, they either get hurt or get traded. Um, look, I'm probably pessimistic around the Charlotte Hornets this year. And what, what did you say the over-under number was? Uh, 37 and a half. Yeah, look, I, I, I can't see that happening. I think they're going to be a well and surely sub-500 team. You know, Gordon Haywood's clearly the star of this team. Um, but, you know, huge injury concerns around him. LaMelo Ball, you know, fantastic rookie season. I just continue – I hope he continues to improve. I think he's a special talent. He's going to be a really fed, fantastic player in this league, no doubt about that. And then, you know, you, that's one and two. And then you've probably got Terry Rozier as your third banana there. And, you know, that, that that's getting pretty thin at, at that point for me. Decent enough depth with a guy like PJ Washington and an Oubre Jr., Mason Plumley, But it's just not rolling off the tongue as well as you'd like to hope for a, for a team that, you know, may be expected to win 36 out of 82 games. So I'll, I'll take the under there. I think they're more 32 win team going into next year and, um, you know, it's just riddled with mediocrity, this franchise, and I think they're going to be stuck there for a long time to come. Well, I agree. I'm, I'm hitting the under as well. Probably not quite as low as you, maybe about the 35 win mark for me, but you mentioned there Gordon Hayward, and he's the key for me. If he can have a big season, he was playing really well, and I think I might have even uh, nominated him as an all-star when we did that earlier on in the year or a borderline all-star, but it's his health is his biggest issue. It's not his production on the court. When he gets out on the court, he's been able to produce. But you look back at his last four seasons, he's played one game, 72, which is obviously really good, then 52, and then 44. So you just can't pin any hopes on him, on his ability to stay healthy. 
Uh, LaMelo Ball, well, he had a fantastic rookie season last year. Obviously, rookie of the year. We're going to expect him to take another step forward. Can he become an all-star this year, or is he still another couple of years off it? So that, that, they're the two big question marks. One, can Hay- Haywood stay on the floor? And two, how big a leap can LaMelo, Mall, LaMelo Ball make? Or will he have one of those sort of second-year blues that we do see a lot with some rookies? So, And, and the other big question mark for me is I just don't think they bat deep enough. So they're, they're starting starting five of Ball, Rozier, Haywood. They'll probably start Kelly Oubre Jr. and, and Plumley, who they brought in in the offseason. And then their bench gets very, very thin. You've got PJ Washington uh, coming off the bench, uh, Bridges and Ish Smith, and then you're probably relying upon Booknight or Jones, the two rookies, to give you something. And when you're going to rely pretty heavily upon a couple of rookies to, to give you something, you're probably, you know, it's a bit of fraught with danger there. So I agree. I'm hitting the under on the Charlotte Hornets, 35 wins. Uh, moving on to the next team, another team who we expect to probably be down in the in the lower end of the Eastern Conference are the Cleveland Cavaliers. Last year they were twenty-two and fifty, which was good for thirteenth in the East. Um, in the offseason, they they signed uh, Allen to to a five-year extension. They brought in Laurie Markkinen from from your Chicago Bulls, there, caddy. Uh, and and their big move they made, no question, was they brought in Evan Mobley with the with the third pick in the draft. Uh, who did they lose in the offseason? Not not a they didn't really lose a great deal of players, but uh, as we said there, they're they're coming from a long way back. So twenty-two and fifty last year. Uh, they're over and under this year is 27 and a half wins. Caddy, are they any chance of getting anywhere near that? I think they are. I think they, they're a team that I, I actually like to look of that, that what they're starting to build. And, you know, it's very early days and there's some really questionable um, positional fits on this team, particularly in the big man department when you think they've had a, you know, obviously re-signed Jared Allen on that, that big five-year deal. Kevin Love's still on the books. They traded in Laurie Markkinen and they drafted Evan Mobley. It's it's really hard to see how these guys are all going to play together. I know in the preseason they've looked like they've started Mobley with Jared Allen and then brought Markkinen and Kevin Love off the bench. Whether that's, you know, a continued theme or not, you know, let, let, let's wait and see. But, look, I, I think they're finally starting to look like a team that's, you know, rebuilding and, and have kind of got the foundation right. I like Colin Sexton and Darius Garland as the as the starting backcourt. You know, I don't think either of them are going to be necessarily, you know, all-stars or, you know, multiple all-stars. But I think, you know, they've got the, the talent to certainly contribute at a significant level if they continue to improve. Ricky Rubio, a nice backup there behind them, absolutely, as a, as, as a new signing as well. Uh, Jared Allen, I think, is more than serviceable in that centre position. Jenny Osmond. Who, who bloody knows what's going to happen with him on, on any given night. They've got a young player in Isaac Okoro. Look, I, I think this is a team that's finally got some some nice levers to pull, whether it be by trade with young players, veterans like Kevin Love to be able to shift out and get more draft capital in. But I, I actually think they're going to be a better team than what we clearly saw last year, and I'm, I'm going to take the over on the Cleveland Cavaliers, and I'm, I'm relatively confident that they can cover that line. I like your optimism. I, I, I can't share it though, Caddy. I, I think for me, this is just, I, I like what they are putting together, similar to, to what you're saying. But for me, this is just going to be another year of development. So that sex land backcourt that you spoke about. Now, Darius Garland last year in his second year w- was such a market improvement on what he showed in his rookie season. So you're going to expect him to to improve again. Colin Sexton got up to 24 points a game last season. Nothing to sneeze at, but you know, how efficient was that? Somebody's got to get the points. So it, the big question mark for him is, can he be a winning player on, on a good team? You know, that probably won't be answered this year, but we would like to see him take a, a step forward and be a little bit more efficient. Isaac Okoro, the fifth pick in the 2020 draft, 
fair to say he's probably a little bit underwhelming last year. So can he take another step forward? He's probably more a, de- a defensive player at this stage of his career, but they're going to be looking for him to be able to contribute a little bit more offensively. Evan Mobley, who I mentioned earlier, the third pick in the draft. Now, the GM survey that uh, they do every year um, came out just recently, and the player that they ask all the GMs, you know, about 80 questions, and one of the questions they asked them was, uh, out of the players that were in the most recent draft, which player do you think is going to end up being the best player in the draft? And, and Evan Mobley was, was the one that was nominated. So, But he is a big, so generally those young bigs do take a, you know, a season or two longer than, than your guard wing players do to, to, to hit their top level. So we'd expect Mobley to be a star in the future, but this year probably not so much. So he's looked pretty good defensively. Um, which is a little bit unusual for a young big, but he's very, very thin. So you'd expect he's probably going to get pushed around by a lot of these, you know, bigger centers and power forwards that he's going to come up against. But will obviously be a really good learning curve for him this year. Then you've got Laurie Markinen, who's still really young. Jared Allen still only played four years in the, in the NBA. So yes, they're putting together a really good young nucleus at the moment. But generally, when you're a team that's full of young players, unless they're absolute superstars like we saw a few years ago with the OKC boys when they had Duran and Westbrook and Harden and they were able to, you know, push up and make the playoffs. Generally, when, you, when you've got a young team together, you know, you're going to struggle, you're going to have your lumps, you're going to have go through a couple of weeks on end where these guys are pretty tired, you know, and they're struggling to hit their shots. And, and it's one of those years where there's probably not a lot of teams outwardly tanking at the moment. And, that, and Cleveland might look at themselves at, you know, games – at 50 games in and they're sitting at 15 and 35 and they might pull the plug on the season. Kevin loves, I'd be staggered if he, you know, completes the season with Cleveland they have to trade him on. And maybe they look to move on a few of these other guys and maybe they, they start tanking to sort of lift their draft, their draft spot up. So that, that that's the main reason I'm going to go the under on Cleveland. The fact that they're young and they could end up being one of these tanking teams because there's not too many of them uh, in the, in the NBA this season. Uh, the next team we'll talk about, the Detroit Pistons, is, is one of these teams that are probably going to be, if not tanking, obviously r- really in a rebuild phase. So last year they were 20 and 52, which was good for last place in the Eastern Conference. The big move, obviously, they made in the offseason was, was bringing Cade Cunningham with a number one pick. He's touted as a can't-miss prospect. So they got lucky. They got the number one pick in one of these years where you know th- there is a really good prospect that they can they can snaffle with that first pick. Uh, they also brought in uh, Trey Lyles and Kelly Olynyk. Um, they did lose Wayne Allington and Mason Plumley uh, in the off season. So twenty two and fifty, uh, sorry twenty and fifty two last year. Caddy twenty four and a half uh, wins this season. Very young roster, similar to Cleveland Cavaliers. Where do you see Detroit Pistons fitting in this year? Oh, sorry, sorry, you just woke me up talking about their ins and outs. To be honest, <laughs> when I think this is the worst team in the NBA, and I think they're a clear not, not going to be tuning into the Detroit Pistons on league pass at all, Caddy. No, look, as well as, you know, as, as bullish as we all Come on, Trey Lyles is, is a must-watch player. <laughs> I don't think Trey Lyles is shifting the needle. But, look, you know, I'm all about, you know, the potential of Cade Cunningham. I just don't think he's a, an out-and-out, you know, Shaquille O'Neal, LeBron James, Dwight Howard, you know, number one draft pick is going to significantly shift this franchise in, in year one. Um, you know, I think Jeremy Grant's still there, going to be their best player, and that's got issues all around it. Uh, just to, to say those words, to be honest, I, I think this is the worst team in the NBA, and I'm going to take the under. I think they're going to have a worse year than they did this year, and I think if they, I think they've clearly prepared to be poor again, and you know, clearly on a longer term uh, trajectory, and have no incentive to win. And you mentioned, you know, there's probably a lack of teams in that sort of boat this year. Well, this is a team that's clearly built to lose, and and I think they'll lose and lose well. 
totally agree that the 24 and a half wins seems seems optimistic as, as funny as 24 and a half wins sound clearly in a developmental phase uh, same as Cleveland got some really good young pieces Cunningham we've already spoken about Killian Hayes who who was very disappointing in his rookie season you'd hope that he would come along you know put the ball in his hands he can become a point guard or a ball handler of the future Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart both showed some really good flashes in their rookie season so you'd hope that they'd continue to progress Jeremy Grant's still only 27 years old, so hopefully he can continue to uh, to grow in that in that lead lead scoring role that which we saw him uh, for the first time in his career last year. But yeah, totally agree. Developmental phase, 24 and a half wins, way under that. Kelly Linick, three years, 37 million. Interesting signing given his age. Maybe he becomes a trade chip and they try and get a few more uh, a bit more draft capital for him, you know, before the trade deadline. But totally agree. A clear under for me with the Detroit Pistons. Moving on now to the Indiana Pacers. They were 34 and 38 last year, which was good for ninth in the East. Um, they made the change in the offseason. Nate Bjorken only lasted one year, and they brought in Rick Carlisle, clearly one of the most respected coaches in the NBA. He makes a return to the Indiana Pacers after he coached them a number of years ago. No real big changes in the offseason. They're, they're probably the, the team that had the least amount of sort of turnover amongst any team in the NBA. Uh, they're over and under 42 and a half wins, obviously just over that 50-50 mark, Caddy. How bullish are you on the Indiana Pacers given that they've stuck with their roster, changed the coaches over and brought in Rick Carlisle, one of the best coaches in the caper? Yeah, really hard team to get a gauge on these Indiana Pacers. I think, you know, on paper, like they were going to last year, think, you know, a really solid team, but they, they really did fail in the end and fell apart a little bit. You know, being a thirty-four and thirty-eight team, well, I'd like to think these team, this team's going to be a five hundred team, at at the very least. I think the Karis Levert piece is, is the interesting one, in terms of his level of improvement. You heavily um, impacted by injury, clearly going into last year, and then only played the back end. TJ Warren, we barely saw, and Jeremy Lance. So there's a couple of wing players there that I think on paper make this team probably slightly better. Malcolm Brogdon, I think, is turning into a legitimate star and, and potential all-star on this team. DeMontis Sabonis has proven he's the number one guy here in, in, in Indiana ahead of Miles Turner, who, you know, I think in the end has been probably, you know, moved to that sort of backup star role, particularly in the big man department. Um, I think they're a little bit thin from, a you know, behind Brogdon in, in the ball handling situation. But look, I'd like to think this is an improved team going to next year. I think the Rick Carlisle, um, coaching moves a, a positive one. He, he's, he's got a history of being, you know, a, a plus five hundred coach. Um, so what was that line? Did you, were, were they forty two and a half? Yeah, well, that's just sitting under. I'll give them the forty three wins and and be a plus five hundred team. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm just over as well at the, at the forty three wins. Same with you. It's a Rick Carlisle factor for me. Indiana was a team that we we spoke about around about the halfway mark. We nominated some teams who we thought would be big improvers post All Star break. I think it was. And I nominated them, and it just never come to fruition. You mentioned the fact there that they they had a number of injuries to you know to Levert and TJ Warren and and Jeremy Lamb. So they are a really hard team to get a read on because we haven't really seen them healthy together for a prolonged period. So their starting five looks really good on paper, doesn't it? Brogdon, Levert, TJ Warren, uh, Sabonis, and Miles Turner. Uh, they don't have a lot of depth though behind them. So off the bench, Lamb, McConnell, Justin Holiday, Gogo Badatsky as as that backup big, but. You know, if they do get a couple of injuries like they did last year, they might be battling a bit. The the one interesting thing for me is when you look at their their salaries, it's sort of unusually spread out. So their highest paid player is Malcolm Brogdon at at under twenty two million. I haven't gone through every roster in the whole 
NBA, but I reckon he'd be the lowest, highest paid player on a roster. They're just sort of evenly spread out at 18 million for Sabonis, 18 for Turner, 17 for Levert, 12 for Warren, and 10 for Lamb. And that's probably probably reflects realistically, doesn't it, their, their roster. They're just so evenly matched. No absolute star. Yes, Sabonis has made a couple of all-star teams, but he's probably not a top well, he's probably not a top 20 player in the NBA. So they're just a really evenly bunched team. Uh, but with the Rick Carlisle factor, I'm going to go over at that 43 wins. We'll move on now, Caddy, to, to my boys, the Miami Heat. So last year they were 40 and 32, which is good for six in the East, but they were thumped by Milwaukee in, in round one of the playoffs. So um, not surprisingly that uh, that they went big in the offseason, as they do like to do. We've seen Pat Riley do that for a, num- for a number of times over the years. So they brought in Kyle Lowry, PJ Tucker. Surprisingly, they were able to sign away from the, from the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, Markeith Morris as well came in, and they did sign Jimmy Butler to a max extension. They did have some, uh, quite a few outs. So Trevor Reza, Andre Iguodala, Goran Dragic left in that sign and trade that they did with Kyle Lowry. So he had a fantastic stint at Miami. Uh, Precious Achua was also involved in that sign and trade. And also Kendrick Nunn uh, shifted over to the LA Lakers. So some big moves that they brought in, Caddy, over the offseason. 48 and a half wins for the Miami Heat. How how confident are you that they're going to be able to get uh, close to that mark? Oh, look, I, I'm pretty relatively confident with this. I mean, let's um, put aside the fact that Kyle Lowry got the massive Chris Paul veteran tax, the contract that was um, he'd been hanging out for. I mean, that that number in the end, three years and close to $90 million, is just astounding for a bit over, isn't it? A little bit over. Yeah. Well, when you look at it, you know, the guy, the undersized point guard that's, you know, clearly showing his age, I mean, that's absolutely incredible numbers that he's been able to extricate himself <laughs> yeah, or be able to get paid from the, the Miami Heat. But, you know, fair play to him. I think, you know, there's still the key to this size, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. They're the two stars on this team, and it's it's what comes in behind him. Can Lowry be the third banana? Is it Tyler Hero that needs to improve on his, you know, pretty mediocre second season? He, he, he obviously came out of the gates as a rookie. Incredible postseason. You know, in the bubble last year, didn't quite live up to those, um, you know, that sort the sort of numbers he, he did there. You know, Duncan Robinson, they paid and extended. You know, there was obviously conjecture about him being probably the biggest trade chip they had. And then, you know, you mentioned PJ Tucker, which I think is, you know, an outstanding, you know, veteran piece that they've added. Now, in terms of the win-loss, you know, they, they kind of got their groove back by the end of last season and, and fought their way into the playoff berth. It was certainly not guaranteed all the way through. So they were at 40 and 32, which is a 55% win rate. Uh, what was the number you gave me before on the... The over-under? Over 48 and a half. Yeah, well, that, that's a 58% win rate, which is probably only one or two wins better than that. I think they're good enough for that. I'll take the over and hope that Kyle Lowry plays to his contract. <laughs> well, they get... And so do I, and so does every Miami Heat fan, and, and I'm sure the front office as well. I... I in one respect, I like what they did in the offseason. I like that they bought in Kyle Lowry. They bought in PJ Tucker. You know, Markeith Morris was a decent enough signing. You know, to, to get Jimmy Butler signed up for, for five years um, and also signed Duncan Robinson to an extension as well. I just don't like the money that they handed out. So you mentioned the, the, the money for Lowry, which I thought was well overs. Jimmy Butler, I don't know how well he's going to age. Did they overpay for Duncan Robinson? So... The fact that they've signed these guys, you know, to, to late in their careers, they're going to need to hit on it straight away. Basically, this season is basically going to be the best time for this for this group to have a run at winning a championship if that's what they're going to do. So I think that they probably can 
make a pretty sustained playoff run. But I've got a little bit of a question mark about how this will shake out during the actual regular season. Are they going to be more one of those sort of experienced teams that are better in the playoffs than they are in the in the regular season? So you'd expect that Kyle Lowry would miss some games during the season. Jimmy Butler has historically, you know, missed games throughout the season as well. And, and I think depth is going to be a bit of an issue for them. So, you know, their starting lineup of Lowry, Butler, Tucker, Robinson and Bam is really good. And off the bench, they've probably got, you know, Hero, um, Morris and Deadman. They're probably going to need one of Max Struess or Gabe Vincent to be able to hit and, and give him some sort of significant minutes. And and, and who, who the hell knows what's going to happen with Victor Oladipo, who also signed for them for a veteran's minimum and is still out at the moment with an injury. So there's certainly some question marks about some of these guys. Will they able to contribute? I think defensively, they're going to be outstanding. That that A four-man defensive lineup of Lowry, Butler, PJ Tucker and Bam, all above average and, and some of those guys elite defenders. It doesn't really matter who that fifth guy is. I think they're going to be really, really hard to score against. But the biggest question mark has to be offensively, which they did struggle with at times last year. And you mentioned Tyler Hero, and I know you took him again in your fantasy draft. You, you're drinking the, the Tyler Hero Kool-Aid caddy. <laughs> Even though you got him in, in the 10th round, which which is an incredible get, He's looked outstanding in the preseason so far, so you must have a bit of a bit of firmness in the downstairs area. The fact that you're able to get him with the tenth pick, and it wouldn't even surprise me if Tyler Hero was their leading scorer, you know, across the roster coming off the bench. The, the amount he's just he's just come out firing in the off season, and Butler might take a bit of a back seat. You know, Lowry's more of a distributor, so Tyler Hero is the one that ne- that needs to take a step up. But the forty eight and a half wins, I'm going to go just under. But all they really need to do is make sure that they're not the seventh or eighth seed. They avoid, you know, Brooklyn or Milwaukee in that first round, and then they can sort of get some momentum uh, throughout the playoffs. So I'm going to hit just under on the Miami Heat, even though I like what they did do in the off season. Now moving over to to the to the NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks, they were 46 and 26 during the regular season last year, which is good for third in the East. As I mentioned, they obviously went on to win the NBA championship. In the offseason, they brought back George Hill, added uh, Grayson Allen and Rodney Hood. They did lose PJ Tucker, as we just spoke about, to the Miami Heat. Your man, uh, Caddy Bryn Forbes, has gone back to the Santa- San Antonio Spurs after he couldn't hit water off a boat when they needed him to. Um, so their over-under is 55.5 wins. Seems low to me, Caddy. What do you think about Milwaukee Bucks? Look, it does seem low, considering they were the reigning champ. Um, you know, and really, in the end, with a dominant team, you know, in the, in the league, really. They, they got through that playoffs series in the first round, in particular against Miami, with much more ease than anyone probably anticipated. And, you know, we saw Giannis go to an absolutely new level as the playoffs continued. Now, there is a knee issue that we I think we need to acknowledge around Milwaukee. Not that it stopped me taking him pick four in the draft, but, you know, for Milwaukee's own chances and, and the Gorillas' own chances, we need him back on night one of the NBA season. But, you know, I think there's been nothing mentioned that he wouldn't be right to go for for the for the opening tip, has it? No, there hasn't. For the longer you know these guys, but but stay out of the preseason. It continues to concern you, although they really haven't played any of their their top three or four players. Um, obviously, Middleton and Holiday went to the Olympics as well. So you know they're clearly you know taking a longer term approach to the season, which is why I actually think the under here is, is a bit of a chance. I think there's some teams in the East that are geared up now to, to get out of the blocks and, and really take things on. And I think Milwaukee will be a slower burn. You know, I've got no doubt that they're going to be a playoff team and, and probably a top four seed and, and, and one of the, the strongest teams in the East. I love the fact that they brought back Bobby Portis on a really team-friendly deal, which, you know, I think was a surprising number 
the two years and $9 million that he effectively signed for to come back was a win for them. Gives them really good support and depth in the big man department behind Brook Lopez and Giannis. Look, I think Drew Holiday and Middleton are only going to continue to improve together as players um, with Giannis as a, you know, the big three there. Grayson Allen, I think, was a sneaky good signing in the offseason. I thought I really liked what he had been able to do, you know, in his short NBA career. And I think he gives them another avenue outside the arc as well. And, you know, let's hope Dante DiVincenzo comes back with some sort of form and fitness after, you know, obviously the serious injury he had. But I think, you know, I'm trying to balance out the numbers, wins and losses across the East. And, you know, if you've got to take a team that might come out of the block slowly, probably similar to, you know, what we thought the Lakers were going to do last year, I, I think Milwaukee's the team I'm looking at to maybe crawl out and gives it a chance for the under, which, which what did you say? It was um, 55 uh, and a half. 55 and a half, which is a bit of a risk. But, you know, I think they're going to be a 50-plus win team, clearly. But I'll just take the 54 wins here and, and bank on the fact that they might just be take a bit to get going. Yeah, I see where you're coming from, that they could sort of come out of the blocks a bit slowly. But when you look back at their history, in 2018-19, they won 60 games. In 2019-20, they won 56 games. And so, so they've just, year after year, been able to churn out wins. You know, you generally get that little bit of confidence after you win a title. You know, Giannis... We saw him go to another level. If we we didn't think that was possible after he'd won two MVPs, but he was absolutely phenomenal throughout the playoffs. So no doubt his his confidence levels have gone even higher. Drew Holiday, who we questioned at times throughout the playoff, could he produce? Well, he did produce, and then then he went over and played for Team USA and was arguably their second best player behind Durant. So no doubt his 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 confidence levels are sky high. Chris Middleton as well. They've just got that continuity, you know, with Brook Lopez. George Hill comes back into the fray. You mentioned DiVincenzo uh, coming back from his injury. You'd, you'd hope that he's going to be able to contribute for them. Um, I, I agree. I like the signing of Grayson Allen in the offseason to be able to, you know, fire away from downtown. Bobby Portis, as you mentioned, on, on that really good deal. So I, I just, you know, Pat Connaughton's been able to show some some signs. Rodney Hood, who knows if they'll get anything out of him, but if, if he can hit, just another piece to add to, to the fray there. So... Just the fact that they've historically been able to churn out win after win. They've been a really good regular season team. I think last year um, they experimented a little bit more with their defense and you know it was openly acknowledged that they were doing some things outside their comfort zone to be able to help them come playoff time. So given that they were able to you know, do that in the in the regular season. They use it in the playoffs. So it should they should just be a lot more familiar with each other than they were last year. So I think for me, um, the, the only way they go under this is if, you know, that knee injury to Giannis does sort of knock him out of the start of the season and maybe 10 or 15 games during the season. And then I would think they would hit under that 55 and a half wins. But if, but if Giannis can play around the 75 to 77 sort of game mark, I can't see any, any way that they're going to go under this 55 and a half. So I'll get them over at, you know, 57-ish wins, which is generally where they, the field that they, they generally play in when they've got a, a healthy roster. So we'll move over now to the New York Knicks, the surprising New York Knicks from last year. They were 41 and 31, which was good for fourth in the East. They did get knocked out in that first round pretty convincingly by the Atlanta Hawks uh, in, in five games. In the offseason, they brought in Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier, so obviously really boasting that backcourt, uh, which I think they really needed to do. And their, their only real loss uh, was Reggie Bullock. Surprisingly, Caddy, they they're over and under is forty one and a half wins, given they won forty one last year in a in a, in a in a shorted season. So, where are your confidence levels with the Knicks? I think that they were the one team when the season ended and we sort of did a post mortem on their season. 
I think I mentioned that it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't make the playoffs this season, but now they're able to add Walker and Fournier. I've sort of uh, shifted a little bit on that. What about you? Where are your confidence levels with the New York Knicks? Now, I'm locking in that over 41.5. I think they're going to be a, a, a plus 500 team, no doubt about that. I like both those signings, Fournier and Kemba Walker. You know, let's assume Kemba Walker is going to become back to some semblance of the play that we know he is. You know, they brought back Derrick Rose as well, so that backcourt's really been solidified. Um, you know, the, 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 there's no longer an experiment around, oh, is, is or, is, or isn't Frankie Nilatina going to be a player for us? Emmanuel quickly can still be there. News is in, Caddy. Nilakina is not going to be a good player for him. No, well, he's not. And, you know, they, they've certainly moved on from that experiment. So, you know, Emmanuel quickly still on the roster. I think they'll continue to try and find some minutes for him. Alec Burks is still on this roster. So they, they really, you know, broadened out that, that backcourt depth. Julius Randle proved himself to be an all-star level player. Uh, not that he quite delivered consistently in the playoffs. It was probably the elephant in the room in the end for them. New Orleans Noel they've is brought back as well. So they've really, you know, brought back this team that, that got them there. And, you know, I think we'll see some continued improvement again out at RJ Barrett. I've given up on hope given up hope on him being an all star level player. I thought his second season last year was a considerable improvement on his uh, rookie season. So look I think this this fifty percent win total that the, the bookies are giving us, I think it's an absolute moral and I think they'll go over and I would almost put them up to that forty five, forty six win um proof in the east oh your brother will be very happy with that prediction katie I, I, i'm also over not quite as high as you probably around that 43 uh win mark i just yeah similar to you i just like what they did in the offseason so kemba walker and evan fournier shores up that backcourt i guess the biggest question mark is can randall replicate that season that he had last season so last season was one a little bit out of the box shooting 41 percent from three was it was a real outlier you know, on previous seasons for him. So can he replicate that again, given that the previous season he was around the 27% mark and 34 and 22 and 27 when you go back over his previous season? So to shoot over 40%, was it an outlier season or is that just, you know, is that the new Julius Randle? Even if he does sort of digress a little bit, given the fact that they're able to bring in Walker on on under $9 million, what a fantastic signing that is, and Evan Fournier, both of those guys can certainly take a, a, a huge load, offensive load, off off Julius Randle. And they were really good defensively last year. Now, that's going to be the biggest question mark for me. You know, Tom Thibodeau's teams had, you know, historically been very good defensively. Last year's team was. But now you've got Kemba Walker in the backcourt. Well, he's a, he's a turnstile defensively. Um, and Evan Fournier is probably not much better if we're being brutally honest. So they may take a little bit of a step back defensively, but I think they can take a, a good step forward offensively as well. So, you know, a starting five of Walker, Fournier, RJ Barrett, who was who took a, a nice leap forward in his second season, you'd expect that to continue. Randall and potentially Mitch Robinson, if he can get himself on the court. He's he's had a lot of trouble throughout his, you know, his short NBA career of staying healthy. So, you know, for the Knicks' sake, hopefully he can do that. And then off the bench, you can bring Derek Rose, who was who was really good for them after they acquired him at that trade deadline. Quigley, who you spoke about, Alec Burks, you know, Nerlens Noel, who they re-signed in the offseason. Obi Toppin, who's looked really good at Summer League and, and started today for them in a preseason game. Uh, and, and the Tom Thibodeau favourite, uh, Taj Gibson, who always somehow manages to find himself in the rotation at some stage. So they're working with a 10-11 man rotation there that, that are all quality players. So, yeah, I'd be surprised if they went under 41 and a half wins. I'll, I'd, I'd table them for around that 43-44 win mark there. 
Uh, moving on now to the Orlando Magic. They were 21 and 51 last year, which was good for 14th in the East. Uh, they also brought in a new coach in the offseason, Jamal Mosley. So a rookie head coach again. We've seen this on a number of teams bringing in rookie head coaches, which is obviously always a little bit of a question mark. Uh, their big move in the offseason was Jalen Suggs coming in with that fifth pick. Uh, most, most, Pretty much most draft experts thought he was going to go with the fourth pick to Toronto Raptors, but they swung a little bit of a surprise taking Scotty Barnes. So Suggs slid, if you like, to, to, to pick five to the Orlando Magic, and Robin Lopez was also brought in as a backup centre. So what about Orlando Magic, Caddy? I think for me they're pretty similar to you know to Cleveland and Detroit, who we've already spoken about earlier on uh, in the show. They've actually got the lowest over and under out of any team in the East at 21.5 wins. Do you think they can go over that, or do you think that's about right? Oh, look, pretty pretty tough here to, to you know back against the 21. I think it's a, it's a low number. It's basically given us the same win total as what they had last year, which was 21 wins. In, in a 72-game season, I think 21 wins in an 82-game season into this year. I think the roster's probably slightly improved as to what they had last year. I think Jalen Suggs is going to have an immediate impact. I'm going to pick him for Rookie of the Year. I think he's going to come out and, and really prove how good of a player. Got a bit of swagger, team. hasn't he? Yeah, he's just a team leader, and we saw that in Gonzaga all the way through last college season. I think Wendell Carter's going to, you know, show us what why he was a, a pick seven in the draft in, in Chicago. He never really got the the right opportunity there, and I think he's going to get pretty much the um, the license to to play bulk minutes here in this um, big man rotation for Orlando. I, I, you know, we, we we've had Mo Bomber and Jonathan Isaac on the roster for a number of years, and without any real um, payoff there. And I think Wendell Carter will get the keys to that big man spot. And I think his numbers so far in the preseason, albeit you know in in, a, in Mickey Mouse games, he's shown that he can put up those double-double type of performances. Terence Ross is probably still their best player, funnily enough, who'd come off the bench and he'll give them 20 points a night. Whether Marco Fultz can, can provide anything, really, they, they've sort of backed him in from a contractual point of view. Um, I like the way Cole Anthony had a rookie season last year. I think there's an improvement there. I just can't see them... You know, being worse than what they were last year, which was a which was pretty horrible, a twenty one win team. And you know, if, if you're just telling me they got to win twenty two games this year with ten extra games, I think they should, should cover that and, and get to twenty three wins. Yeah, it's a, it's an exceptionally low low number, isn't it? You, you mentioned there that's what they won last year, so they don't have to really improve to be able to go over it. Yeah, I'll just go just over with 22 wins. So they're very similar to Cleveland and Detroit, which we've already spoken about, clearly in a developmental phase. Jalen Suggs, who you just spoke about, obviously, you know, high hopes for him, and he's he's proved to be a leader right throughout his career. So no reason to think that that wouldn't continue now that he's you know he's become a pro. Uh, Jonathan Isaac is a huge one. They signed him to a four-year, $70 million extension in the offseason. Missed all of last season with a knee injury, so they've obviously got high hopes for him. He's, he'd shown some really strong promise before that knee injury about being a, a good two-way big. He can protect the rim and obviously shoot the ball a little bit from the outside as well. Wendell Carter Jr., who you mentioned as well, he come across in that Vucevic trade. He, he, he's shown some promise, but probably been, as you like to say, Caddy, a little bit of a dick tease throughout his career. Can he take that step forward this year? Mark Fultz, the former number one pick, another young guy they're going to be looking towards to to take another step forward. Uh, Chumura Koke, who was... It was injured in his rookie season. He came out last year and showed a little bit of promise. So they're again going to be looking towards him to improve. Cole Anthony, you've already mentioned. Mo Bamba, another young guy who hasn't fulfilled that potential that they've 
you know, that they've clearly seen in him. RJ Hampton that they got in that Aaron Gordon trade. So it's another one of those teams that are really, really focusing on youth and, and, and relying on youth to drive them forward. Apart from really Gary Harris and, and Terrence Ross, every other player is still, you know, in that de- developmental phase in their career. So that they could obviously they're, they're going to be, you know, saying they're, they're going to win 22 games obviously doesn't mean they're going to be a good team. So they're going to be one of these teams down in the dredges of the East fighting to get as strong a draft position as possible. But 21 and a half wins is, is, is a very low number, but I'm taking just overs with, with not a great deal of confidence at all, Caddy. Uh, the next team, another team which, you know, you can't have any great confidence predicting what the hell is going to happen with them, is the Philadelphia 76ers. Last year they were 49 and 23, which was good for first in the East. In the east. But surprisingly they lost in that second round to the Atlanta Hawks where all the walls, Caddy, uh, come crashing down on their franchise. Basically all the fingers were pointed uh, in Ben Simmons' way. We'll speak about him in a minute. In the offseason, basically the, the only change that they've made so far is Dwight Howard was out and Andre Drummond's come in to play that backup centre role behind Joel Embiid. But clearly the biggest question mark hanging over this franchise at the moment is the Ben Simmons factor. You know, he's refused to report to training camp. Uh, he hasn't played in any, in any of the preseason games. He's getting fined for every time he doesn't appear at training and appear in a game. The reports came out this week that he's actually moved all of his stuff out of his uh, house in Philadelphia. So he's clearly at the point of no return. Who knows what the hell is going to happen with him. Let's just say for the sake of this argument, Caddy, that Ben Simmons sits out the whole season. They don't trade him. They don't get anything in return for him. Can, can a team that that, uh, that basically will probably start, Tyrese Maxey is their starting uh, point guard, still be a team good enough to get to that 51.5 win barrier? Oh, not for me. I, I think this is you know obviously a, a circus, really, the way it's panned out. He's, he's not only alienated all the fans in Australia after refusing to come and play in the Olympics, and he's now done the same thing with the, the city of Philadelphia and not turning up. Not a lot know, of people in that Ben Simmons fan club worldwide, is there, Caddy? Well, he's he's running out of friends. Like, it's just incredible to think, you know, it's, it's, it's even a different situation than what we saw with Anthony Davis. It's worse again than James Harden where these guys, you know, clearly, you know, preempted what they were going to do and, and, and forced their way out of the city. But that was, with, you know, one year or less than one year left on the contract. This guy's got four years left on a really significant contract in Philadelphia who's paying him 33 million US this season alone um you know to, to not even turn up to work which is effectively what he's doing um and then you know being prepared to let let some of that money fly out the door i mean it's easy for us to say oh yeah look 8 million dollars is nothing but yeah i think he, he could he could push some of that my way if he didn't really care about it can he <laughs> Well, it, it, it's just unprecedented. We've never seen someone someone do it, you know, with so long left on the deal. And it's going to be who blinks first. And, you know, I can't see at this stage that Ben Simmons is going to blink. He, he clearly doesn't want to be there. And they clearly don't want to trade him for, for 30 cents on the dollar. So it's going to be a fascinating watch. And I, I don't think any of it makes them a better team in the short term. I, I think clearly if you're basically your second best player sits out, and we've spoken about it before with Denver last year when Jamal Murray uh, wasn't able to play, and you know, they're clear second best player. You know, they're just a diminished team that it just gives them no chance to, to win the title. So, when we're talking about win losses, what did you say, 51 and a half? Um, yep. you know, they won 49 games in a, in a lessened season, that would probably translate to 52, 53 wins. 51, I, I think I'll just go under that 50 wins. Look, I, I, I can't. Still knock anything Joe Allen B does if he's healthy they're going to be a you know probably a fifty win team and, and be good enough to be a your top 
you know, three or four seed in the in the East. But I just don't think you can just let your second best player not play and expect that things are going to be just as good as they were, if not better than last year. So I'll take slide under, but still think if Embiid's healthy, which is another question mark, you know, they're a 50-win team. Yeah, I agree. I'm going the under. Yeah, who the who the hell knows what's going to happen with Simmons? I, it would be it would be just remarkable, wouldn't it, if he sat out the whole season for for go for going that money? Just just said I don't care. It would be be a real blow to my fantasy team too, Caddy, because I bit the bullet and took him and was hoping that a trade would come to fruition. There doesn't seem to be anything on the horizon at the moment, so that could come back to bite me in in the bum as well. But. Yeah, and Joel Embiid, as you mentioned there, if he's healthy, you know, he probably would have gone very, very close, if not won the MVP last year, if it wasn't for the games he, that he ended up missing. But that's that's been the story of Joel Embiid right throughout his career. Unfortunately, he just hasn't been able to stay healthy for the whole season. And if, if Simmons is out and not playing and they don't get any trade in return for him and, and Embiid misses his usual sort of 15-ish to 20 games, well, you just have to hit the under on this. There's no other way around it. They... That they don't have enough firepower behind him, B, to be able to withstand him miss, missing uh, an extended period that they could when they had Ben Simmons in lineup. So for me, a, a clear under as well, given the, the situation with Ben Simmons. We'll move on now to the Toronto Raptors. Last year they were 27 and 45, which is good for 12th in the East. Uh, in the offseason, their biggest uh, pickup was Scotty Barnes, who they got with that fourth pick. I mentioned earlier it was probably a little bit of a surprise that they didn't take Jalen Suggs who most people thought could sort of step into that Kyle Lowry role, but they went uh, with Scotty Barnes. They also brought in Corin, uh, Goran Dragic and Precious Achua in that Kyle Lowry sign and trade, and obviously they lost Lowry in the offseason. So for me, Caddy, I think the Raptors are in a really interesting position. Obviously they won a title you know, a few seasons ago. They've still got some of those guys hanging around. Uh, Siakam's still there. You know, They've got Van Vliet and Ananobi who are still there. But those guys are obviously still quite young. And Scotty Barnes is young as well. So do they sort of lean all the way into to rebuilding or do they sort of continue to push up and try and make the playoffs? It's going to be really interesting to see what they do, I think, this season. Where do you where do you sit on the Raptors? Have you got a win-loss for them? Yeah, what, yeah sorry, they? mate. It's, it's uh, 36 and a half. Yeah, I'm taking a really strong lock on the under on, on the Toronto Raptors. I think they're going to be one of the worst teams in the NBA this year. Oh, that's I, I a think... big call. Now I just think, you know, look, I think Scotty Barnes will come in and, and, and play and play strongly for them straight away. He's shown already in a couple of preseason games he's more than capable of putting the ball in the bucket. But, you know, the, the, you know, you look at the last two years losing Leonard and then uh, Lowry, and I, I don't think that necessarily Pascal Siakam has taken that significant step forward to be, you know, a franchise-level player. I think we, we thought he was definitely um, tracking that way, but... You know, I, I, I think he's got a long way to go to really take that mantle. And they're paying him like he's the, the franchise guy that's going to take them to effectively the top of the Eastern Conference. You know, Fred Van Fleet's another one that they've paid paid good money to. I, I really like his game. I think he's a terrific player and, and, and worthy of that. Goran Dragic, you know, I don't think he's going to necessarily improve their team. I don't think he's going to become a better player than what he was, than what we saw really coming off the bench in the end for Miami. OJ Ananobi, again, another player that's, you know, had the potential at, and, and been a good fringe player. He now has to really step up into a number two or number three role for this team. And Chris Boucher's, you know, really the big man now that they're going to rely on without, you know, the having that support of the great man, Aaron Baines. So, you know, they're, they're a Boucher and Birch um, big man um, tandem, which, you know, really I don't think jumps off the page for me. I think this this is a really strong under for me, and, and I think they could be one of the worst teams in the East. We're going to disagree on this one. I actually, I like them for the over. I just think 
last year was a real nightmare for them. They obviously they weren't at home uh, through the, the whole season. They're out at Florida. Uh, Nick Nurse is universally regarded as, as one of the best coaches in the NBA. Sure, yeah, sure. There's no doubt there's question marks. And the biggest question mark is, and you mentioned him, Pascal Siakam. He he took a step back last year. He's got the injury at the moment. I'm not 100% sure when he's due back, but he's certainly going to miss the start of the season. So they're going to be missing their highest paid and probably their best player for that first portion of the season. But Van Fleet's just a real warrior. OG Ananobi had a really good season last year, and I think he's going to take another step forward this year. In the offseason, they signed Gary Trent Jr., who they got in that trade. Uh, at the trade deadline last year, so they're going to expect him to be able to contribute. I like the fact that they got Goran Dragic, and given that they haven't sort of moved him on as yet, well, maybe they're going to keep him, and he's going to be a really strong contributor, which he was for the Miami Heat off the bench. Uh, Precious Achua as well. You mentioned that they're going to rely pretty heavily on uh, Chris Boucher and, and uh, Ken Birch as their, as their centers. Well, I'm... I'd be surprised if Precious Chachua doesn't eat up some minutes as well as that backup five. Now, he's a little bit undersized, but he's a really good athlete. So I just think they've got enough sort of good athletes and some good young pieces and some and some guys who know how to play. And coupled with the fact that they're now back at home, which they're, they're obviously you know a much better team on their home court, and that Nick Nurse factor, I'm not predicting them to be a, a, you know, a really good playoff team even, but I think they're going to hit that thirty that over 36 and a half. I'll go sort of 38 wins there just based on the fact that I, I like their upside and, and, and they're going to obviously be much more comfortable at home. It, it was a very long season from last year, so they're going to be very happy to have a bit of home cooking caddy uh, this season. Uh, so we'll move on now to the last team, which is the Washington Wizards. So last year they were 34 and 38, which was good for eighth in the East. We saw them really, you know, come home hard in that last portion of the season. Uh, to clinch that A seed. Uh, they did lose in the first round to Philly in five games. That, they had a massive offseason. So Russell Westbrook was traded away. Uh, and they brought in uh, Montrose Harrell, uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and uh, Cole Kuzma in that trade. They also added Spencer Dinwiddie as a uh, free agent and used a 15th pick in the draft on Corey Kisbert and also brought in Aaron Holiday, which is a bit of a sneaky signing there. Obviously, as I said, that they lost Russell Westbrook in the offseason and also Robin Lopez and Ish Smith, who moved on to Team 94 for his career. Uh, they're over and under 34.5, Caddy, which is only half a game over what they got in a truncated season. Do you like the Wizards, given that they've got a little bit of a different mixture, a lot more depth, or do you think that losing Russell Westbrook, who was probably the main reason, or if not sort of 1A and 1B with Beal, that they're able to make that late change home and get to the playoffs? Yeah, I think they're going to be one of the more interesting watches in the league, really. I mean, you spoke about Westbrook, and I think that certainly helped them as a regular season team last year. We know how competitive he is, and I think that's why we think the Lakers are going to be a good regular season team again in the in the West, because he just competes so hard night in, night out. But I, I think they've added more depth to this team. Obviously, Dinwiddie comes in really as a, as a bit of a free hit. He didn't play at all last year, and we, we knew... Before that, what he was capable of, he's a clear twenty point, you know, a game scorer. No doubt, you know, being able to do that. Contavious Caldwell Pope. Now he's more of a three point specialist now, but I think Cole Kuzma will look at this opportunity as a time to to be a bit more aggressive offensively. You know, obviously out of the the shadows of LeBron James. Harrell was an interesting part of that trade as well. He'll come off the bench for them as long as well as Thomas Bryant because I think, you know, the the real. Interesting play here is Daniel Gafford, who came across from Chicago as a bit of an add-in in the trade period last year, and he really showed that he was a, a guy that could put up, you know, double double numbers night in, night out. And I think he'll get the starting position here in front of Thomas Bryant, which gives them a bit of depth that we didn't probably think they had in the front court, providing Bradley Beal 
continues to be an all-star level player. I think this team is just above that number. Um, you mentioned the 34 and a half. They did the 34 wins last year with 10 extra games. I think they could just get across that and get to 35, 36 wins and be it, be my last over of the night. And, you know, you've, you've got to balance these things out. You know, there's probably some surprise around, the, you know, the selection around the Raptors. But, you know, again, you've got to find some that are going to go over, some that are going to go under. And I think the Wizards here are going to be good enough and competitive enough. They won't be a playoff team, but I think they're going to get above that 34.5 number. Yeah, I agree. I also like what they did to to shore up that shore up that depth around uh, Brad Beal. So th- their starting lineup, you'd imagine, would probably be Dinwiddie, Beal, KCP, Kuzma will probably start. And I agree, Gafford's going to get that starting five role there. And then off the bench, they're going to bring Aaron Holiday, Raul Neto, Rui Hachimura, who's taking some time away from the team for personal reasons at the moment. So we're not sure when he will get back into the fold, but he's going to be a key contributor for them, most probably off the bench. Montrose Harrell, who we've seen, you know, be a really effective six-man right throughout his career. Danny Avdia, who didn't have a great rookie season last year, but they're going to hope to get something more out of him this year. And and Bryant, who you mentioned, um, he, he got injured last year. I'm not sure when he's due back. He hasn't played as yet, and I don't think he's going to be uh, playing for them at the start of the, the season. But when Thomas Bryant played for them last time, he was really effective. So th- that's sort of a good sort of quality 11-man rotation. Around Bradley Beal, who's, uh, you know, a walk-up all-star, Second in, second in the league in scoring last year. Yeah, I just really like what they've done to, to show up the depth, as I said. And I think that that 34.5 wins, I think they'll only just go over. As you said there, I, I didn't actually mark down how many overs and unders I had, but you do have to balance this out a little bit. But I'll, I'll take just the over, maybe around the 35, 36 win mark for me. So we've managed to get our way through all the Eastern Conference teams there, Caddy. If you, if you were sort of looking at, Two maybe teams that you were really confident on, either over and under. What were your two locks to go over or under? Well, I, again, I was really strong on the Chicago Bills. I'll take them as a lock over the forty-one and a half. I think they're going to be, a, you know, pushing that sort of mid-forties win total, and that yeah, clearly is a homeless selection. There's, there's no <laughs> no doubt about that. And I think the surprising one that again I'll, I'll just um, double down on is I think I'll take the unders on Toronto Raptors. I think they're going to be a, a really poor side. This season, and you know, you, you've got to find some teams that aren't going to be that good. And I think, you know, that number at thirty-seven and a half is just under five hundred. I think they're going to be well under that, and I think they'll be a you know bottom three side in the East. Yeah, I, I agree with your Bulls one. I won't put that as my lock because you've done that, but I, I, I'm really confident as well that they will go over. I, I'm, I'm super confident on, on Brooklyn Nets. It is a high number, fifty-six and a half wins. But just given their their top end talent and the fact that they've just got so much depth underneath those three stars, and even if Irving doesn't play half the season, I think they can still comfortably get over that fifty-six and a half wins. And and Cleveland, I, I just, I just think they're in a real development phase so 27 and a half wins is a low number but I think they'll go under that just based on the fact that they're going to be really sort of focusing on on development and they may pull the pin on the season at some stage and try and shore up that draft capital uh, for the upcoming draft so there we go Katie we've got the uh, the first the east over and unders in the book it was obviously going to be a, a long episode as you expect when you're going through you know 15 teams it can uh, it can go for a, a long uh, period of time so next week we'll jump into the west and and work our way through that good to be back Katie I'm sure you enjoyed uh, getting on the mic and uh, waxing lyrical about the NBA season I don't think I'm as excited as their fan base will be when they when they see this hit there. It's going to be going to be a nice surprise for them come Monday morning. Yeah, you just wait for those people in the commute tomorrow. The topper, how long of the world? They'll be really excited when the they Chris see this Prince's. 
Yeah, oh, absolutely. Just some of the some of the big names on our on our fan book, and I think they'll really enjoy what they have to listen to tomorrow. Well, once again, thank you for everybody who does download this podcast. You mentioned a couple of the number one fans there, Caddy, but uh, hopefully the, the audience is starting to grow. If you've got some NBA fans that uh, that haven't heard the podcast as yet, if you could share, share that with them, that would be much appreciated. But uh, until next week, we'll talk to you then.